studied the form of comics intimately. What you need is a hobby. The words, the pictures, it could be more of an art form. What the fuck are you talking about? I don't know, it's pretty goddamn weird. A guy dresses up like a devil and a blind lawyer, you know? We have to do Aquaman. No one with a lick of sense would watch that show. The word fan actually is a, an abbreviated form of fanatic. And there are some people who fit that category. I believe comics are a last link to an ancient way of passing on history. You can put on a uniform for football year-round, nobody cares. Basketball year-round, nobody cares. Put on a Star Trek uniform, people get a case of the giggles. Yeah, hi, somebody told me they make comic books here. That's from Superman? Smallville. You've been trying that Jedi mind shit on me since the eighth grade. It doesn't work. Oh, it works. You guys must read too many comic books or something. People do not masturbate in the DC universe. That was the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. Hello and welcome back to Trinus Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host Magnus and what I do is talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. And as I, I think I've made a point of saying in several episodes lately, I spent the majority of last year, and really over a year if records be checked, but I spent a hell of a lot of time, this is the point, I spent a hell of a lot of time working my way through a bunch of different six-issue... Oh, hell, now I'm doing it. I spent a lot of time working through a bunch of six-episode mega-series that were dedicated to a single topic or theme or idea or just what have you, right? And for the past couple of months, really, at this point, what I've been doing is just intentionally breaking away from that and pretty much just talking about comics or whatever that strike my fancy and it was really it was just a couple of days ago at the time that I record this it was just a couple of days ago that I started not exactly a matrix comic reading project because I don't really think it was that extensive but I ended up just flipping through a couple of matrix comics and the reason that all ended up sort of coming about Guys, I'm just going to level with you about a few things here. One of the kind of bizarre things about my fandom that I've noticed is it tends to move in cycles. You know, I call it the fanboy muse. And basically what I say is the fanboy muse takes me in a bunch of different directions at any given time. So maybe one day it's it's all about Superman movies. And then maybe uh, a week later... Maybe it's all about Nightwing comics. And then maybe a week after that, it's all about X-Men cartoons. You know, and just wherever it is that I end up going, it's going to be a bunch of different places. You know, there's not usually a single unifying theme or idea underlying all of that, right? Having said that, though, one of the things, like I say, one of the things that I've noticed is that the fanboy muse tends to be kind of cyclical. And I guess what I mean by that was, I think it was at the beginning of 2016, I went through a major Star Wars, Star Wars, sorry, went through a major Star Trek binge. And specifically, I would say it was mostly the original series. I mean, I think it was kind of Star Trek in general, but 
mostly it was the original series, right? And then, lo and behold, at the end of 2016, basically when we were back in the winter, once again, it was another... It was another Star Trek binge, you know, primarily the original series. And when I really started thinking back on it, I was like, you know what? This is not the first time something like this has happened. When I started thinking about it, what I realized is it's not necessarily seasonal, but there tends to be... um, How shall I put it? There tends to be... I guess, movements in the same overall direction at different times, right? And where I'm going with all of this is to say that when I really started thinking about it, it was about the same time last year, give or take a couple of weeks, that I flipped through some Matrix comics again and started thinking to myself, you know, I need to talk about some Matrix comics on my show at some point because I kind of like them. And so here we are. So, anywho, so that's basically it. What I'm going to be doing this time around is basically talking about Matrix comics, right? But not just any Matrix comics. But before I get into what exactly I'm going to be talking about, just to give some of you guys a little bit of background here. After the first Matrix was, the first Matrix movie was released, basically there was a lot of demand, but a tremendous dearth of Matrix material on the market. You basically had a movie, and that was pretty much it, you know? And so somebody realized, hey, guys, we got to prime the pump here a little bit. And this is me being a little bit cynical. I, I, I will acknowledge that. But nevertheless, I think some marketing wonk said, hey, guys, we need to prime the pump here a little bit because it's going to be four years before we can get a sequel out there. And there's really no telling what might happen with the market during those intervening four years. And so, basically, the Wachowski brothers authorized the production and then release of a bunch of uh, short stories, for the most part. Uh, These comics that were released on the Matrix website, and then because of the fact that, let's face it, this is uh, exploitable in different forms... They eventually packaged them all together in various sized trade paperbacks and then sold those to Barnes & Noble and then also comic shops and whatnot. The idea being that anybody who's just desperate to get more Matrix stuff, well, here you go. And, you know, the really interesting thing is there are a lot of different ways this could have been done, you know, as far as licensing is concerned. And so one of the things that kind of interests me is the fact that The Wachowski brothers, what they seem to want to do is not just anthology types of stories. What they wanted to see were a bunch of different creators working on the stuff at any given time. Basically telling, uh, well, it seems a little bit derivative, I suppose, or reductive perhaps, to call it just an anthology type of story. But that seems to be primarily what we're talking about. But these were basically stories that could be drawn and written and basically created by anybody in the comic book industry, right? And so it's not just one person's imagination that's guiding all of this. It's a bunch of different people telling a bunch of different types of stories. And so the end result of that is you actually get a lot of variety with these stories, you know? Now, 
with variety comes variations in quality. It would be fair to say that some of these stories are better than others. But overall, at the very least, these stories tend to be readable, right? Even the worst of these, they're still not the worst comic you've ever read. Hello, New Universe. You know, a lot of these comics... Like I say, they may be hits, they may be misses, but there's really not a one uh, a one among them that's just flat out bad. And some of these are actually really good. And obviously one of the really good ones that we're going to be talking about is, well, that's going to be today's subject matter, but the title of it is Artistic Freedom, right? And this was actually the first Matrix comic that I ever read as it happens. And I don't know why, but it's, I guess it's like the universe just wanted me to read this because, you know, every time I ever came across Matrix comics, this seemed to be the only one that was, well, not the only one that was available, but the, the one I flipped to first just by accident when I was going through all of these different compilations. And so if ever there was a time when the universe appeared to be saying, Magnus, Magnus, read this. Well, this seemed to be it. So, this is Artistic Freedom. Artist is Killian Plunkett. Writer is Ryder Wyndham. Colorist is Jeremy Cox. Editors are Spencer Lamb and Rob Simpson. Story synopsis is as follows. Raven Underwell's latest art exhibition has opened at Headnet, a premier art gallery. She's a blue pill who created her new art exhibit following a red pill experience. She recounts a story where she found herself in a pod attached to the power plant and saw the dock bots and the sentinels floating around in the space surrounding her pod. Considering the experience to have been some kind of dream or maybe a vision of an alternate reality, she named the robots, and I'm going to do my best to pronounce this, she named the robots Somni Cultus which is to say sleep guardians. And she now believes that these godlike machines tend to humans and perhaps even created humans. Inspired by her dream, quote unquote, she launches a new art, exi uh, art exhibit featuring nightmarish sculptures with dark visions of enslaved humanity, all based on her red pill experience. And many of these sculptures resemble dock bots and sentinels and all of those sorts of things. She's become controversial, and her work regularly scares the shit out of viewers by giving them sleepless nights or nightmares or what have you. This might be because deep down, everybody instinctively knows that they're seeing the true face of their mechanical captors. In any case, eventually, Raven becomes famous and gains an immense fortune. At her uh, exhibition at Headnet Gallery, Spoonboy swings by to view her work. Watching Raven torment and verbally abuse guests at the event, Spoonboy gets pretty pissed off, so he plants a vision in Raven's mind where the sculptures that she's uh, created come to life and tear the crap out of the city and kill everybody in the art, uh, the art gallery. Raven runs for her life, and then she hears a payphone ringing, so she picks it up, as you do in the middle of a crisis. And the voice on the other side uh, says... Cryptically, it's not enough to believe what you see. You must also understand what you see. At that moment, the scene before her changes from a city street 
to a graveyard. The next second she finds herself back in the exhibition hall as Spoonboy leaves the room. Raven finally understands the true nature of what she saw in her vision and is horrified. The end. So, what did I think? Well, I guess for starters, one of the things that I kind of like about these Matrix comics is these stories tend to be relatively short. You know, some admittedly are longer than others, and there are a couple of multi-part stories, but for the most part, we tend to be working in a short of short story type of format here. And one of the things that kind of allows the creators to do is basically tell a story that can end when it needs to end. And, and so instead of developing and then creating this big, overblown, drawn-out story, you don't really have to do that. You can create shorter sort of episodes, you know, that basically play around, I guess, with the concept of the Matrix without really having to tell some kind of world-beating type of story, you know? And I kind of like that because of the fact that when you really think about it, there is so much storytelling potential with The Matrix and just what you can do with The Matrix as a concept and that sort of status quo that was created by the first Matrix film that I think that... I honestly believe that these stories are... I mean, I might have liked having more of them. I mean, there are quite a few as it stands. I might have liked having even more. But I think that it would be fair to say that a lot of these Matrix comics are conceived and then executed extremely well. About as well as they probably could have been, to be perfectly honest with you. And artistic freedom, it's probably my favorite of all of the different Matrix comics that were ever produced. And I think a good part of that really comes down to Killian Plunkett because of the fact that I love Killian Plunkett's work. I always have. And he's one of those guys that he's just never really gotten the amount of... I don't know. I He's not really gotten the... I guess the the praise and the credit and the plaudits and the critical acclaim and whatnot that I would like. I mean... To me, his name is every bit as big a rock star as anyone else's, but he just doesn't seem to get the the same type of cred for it. You know what I mean? So anyway, as it happens, though, there is quite a lot of really interesting detail in in this art. And again, it speaks to the to, I guess, how artistically rich and nuanced the Matrix concept truly is. But right here on page one, you see Spoon Boy standing outside of a, uh, it looks like a Radio Shack type of place or a junk shop or something like that. And he's basically watching TV through through the store window. And the name of the store seems to be City Appliance. But all of the lights on the City Appliance sign are burned out, except for L-I-E in the word Appliance. So the only words, the only letters that actually work are lie, L-I-E, lie. And I kind of like that. That's, I don't know, that, that, that type of detail in the art, I've always sort of appreciated that sort of thing when the artist has his thinking cap on. And, and you know what, to be fair, I'm crediting Killian Plunkett with that idea. For all I know, that could have been in Ryder Wyndham's uh, script, you know, but... 
either way, this is, it just kind of speaks to, you know, those little clues and, and, and whatnot that you can hide in the art in these Matrix comics, right? And there's a little, there's at least one other one. Uh, maybe I'll find more as I work my way through this comic, but there are, there's at least one more to talk about in all of this. And to kind of tie it all back into the central premise of this thing, we don't really know a whole lot about Spoon Boy based upon what we see in any of the Matrix movies, but it stands to reason that he understands the true nature of reality. He's been red-pilled. And so whenever he sees these art sculptures that exhibit uh, the Sentinels and the Doc Bots and all of those other things, he knows exactly what really happened with Raven. And so it stands to reason that this would pique his interest. I can see that, you know. Stuff like this, it may be too small, uh, two two small potatoes for Morpheus, Neo, and you know the other big band of rebels, but I guess the sort of unaffiliated red pills that are wandering around the Matrix, yeah, I could see them being kind of interested in this and maybe swinging by the art gallery, checking things out. You know, I can see that. You know, uh, getting into page two, we start getting a little bit of insight into the reaction that that uh, Raven uh, Raven Underwell's art has I guess generated among uh, among the wider public and basically what it comes down to is this people are just creeped the fuck out by her art and just as a matter of I don't know individual interpretation, what I've taken from that is the fact that subconsciously all of these blue pills know that not only are they enslaved, but these machines are in fact their captors. And seeing that, coming face to face with that in the dream world of the Matrix, it's basically giving them Anything from just panic attacks to nightmares to maybe even full-scale PTSD. I mean, who the fuck knows, right? And I kind of like that, you know, that on some level, these people are willfully buying into the lie and seeing evidence that they are, in fact, being lied to is basically triggering cognitive dissonance so severe that they are basically lashing out and having nightmares and uh, having temper tantrums and stuff like that, you know, that makes sense to me. You know, I mean, I'm not exactly a psychologist, although I play one on TV, but, you know, the fact of the matter is that cognitive dissonance is what you call it. It's a, psycho it's a psychological ph uh, phenomenon, and it's basically what you call somebody's self-image being violated by objective reality, Right. Meaning it's when your illusions get maybe not necessarily shattered, although that too, but it's just when your version of reality is shown to be at variance with actual reality, right? And there are some rather famous examples of that, maybe some of the most famous in recent times at least. Um, to kind of go to kind of wind the clock back a little bit the way that certain people on YouTube 
reacted when news of Donald Trump winning the presidential election first came down the pipeline. I mean, there was this flurry of videos of people, literally guys freaking the fuck out over the fact that Donald Trump had had won the election, you know? And I'm proceeding on the assumption that these people were so confident of not necessarily Hillary Clinton's victory, but maybe more that they thought they lived in a certain type of country, which is to say a country that is incapable of electing somebody like Donald Trump. And then Donald Trump wins the election. And so at least among some of them, cognitive dissonance kicks in where what they thought America was, which is to say, again, a country that could not possibly elect Donald Trump as the president when he does in fact, when, when the country does in fact elect Donald Trump to be the president. Well, that I think is what cognitive dissonance can look like. I mean, admittedly, that's a kind of extreme example, but extreme examples tend to work the best. So anyway, I'm not taking sides on that. I'm not saying who's right and who's wrong. I'm just saying that I think is what happened, you know, with those YouTube videos. So anyway, and to kind of tie it back to this comic and maybe move away from dicey or political issues, that I think is what's happening here. This is a very extreme case of cognitive dissonance where the the reality these people choose to believe in is now being challenged and they recognize that. And so they're lashing out. And I, again, I just, I like that because that is such an insightful way of structuring the story, you know, that this isn't done just for shits and grins. People are reacting very badly to this, you know, and I like that. That is an extremely creative way of telling this story, right? So anyway, moving right along, we uh, Spoon Boy is watching this newscast and the newscaster holds up her pass to get into the exhibition hall. And so Spoon Boy basically bends reality such that he basically takes her pass away from her. And it looks like he does something to the pass. He basically... Uh, rewrites the code that makes up the pass, I guess, so that it can let him specifically into the art gallery. And then he specifically enters the art gallery. And when he gets there, the newscaster is still looking around trying to find her pass, and her cameraman is basically saying, you don't need it anymore. You're already inside the venue, so who cares? And then from there, we finally um, get a little bit more dialogue from... Raven Underwell, and basically, she's basically trying to play the part of the pretentious, snobby, almost condescending type of elitist artist. You know, I don't have time to listen to you and your and your uh, bullshit comments of about how scary my my art is and all of that. You're obviously small minded, just fucking nitwit and all that. And she's just basically acting like a real pill, you know, but somebody actually comes along and eventually says, you know, look, I bet you've been asked this about a zillion times already, but how exactly did all of this ever even come about? And, and then she basically, uh, tells her story and she 
at least on the page, she chalks it up to what she calls a startlingly, 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 God, that's a hard word to say, startlingly vivid dream, you know? And she's basically talking, if you remember that scene from the first Matrix movie where Neo takes the red pill and then he wakes up in his pod, something kind of similar to that, except this happened to her without her taking the red pill, right? She basically came to and inside of her pod and she looked around and she saw all of those towers, basically those generators that have the pods attached to them with all of the lightning bolts and shit that are flashing around. And then she saw the, uh, the dock bot and she probably also saw, we can reasonably guess, she also saw Sentinel uh, robots that were uh, gliding around through the air and basically making their patrols and whatnot. And that, I mean, from there, you can kind of, you can kind of figure what happened. You know, she went to sleep in the matrix and then she actually by accident woke up in the real world. And so the doc bot basically saw what was happening, came along, put her back to sleep. And then she chalked the whole thing up to a bad dream, which seems reasonable, right? And in the, it, just in the process of, of telling her story and I guess basically explaining, you know, where it is that all of this came from. She goes on to say that, then I saw a different creature. It appeared as a majestic airborne squid moving through the air like a fish through water. My statues hopefully show how beautiful and caring these creatures appeared to, uh, appeared to be. And someone comes along and says, but what about the fear it's inspiring in people? And she, again, just uh, takes on that snooty artist type of attitude. She says, your ignorance bores me. She looks over at Spoonboy and says, ah, it seems there's at least one brave young soul. Tell me, boy, what do you think of my... And then she gets cut off by all of her robots, or her sculptures, I, sh I should say, basically coming to life and killing everybody inside the art gallery. And then before you know it, all hell breaks loose inside of Headnet Gallery, and shit's getting destroyed, people are getting killed, and Raven makes a run for it, and turns around and sees that buses are being destroyed, people are being killed in the streets, buildings are being decimated, and it would be fair to say that Raven is pretty much tripping the hell out here. And after that, she picks up the ringing payphone. And the kind of neat thing about this is in her little vision here, the Sentinel, she no sooner picks up the, uh, the phone and says hello, than the Sentinel destroys the phone booth that she's standing in. And the phone receiver gets it gets literally sheared off of the uh, the payphone that she's using, but she still hears a voice coming from inside the phone. And I already told you what it says, but just to kind of repeat, it says, it's not enough to believe what you see. You must also understand what you see. And then she looks over through a brick wall and she sees uh, just this this graveyard. It's just basically a shitload of hundreds, maybe thousands of tombstones. 
and she finally is able to put the all of the different pods that are attached to those generators she's able to put that in perspective and this is basically what she realizes is that's also another another graveyard it's just a, a graveyard that she didn't recognize as being a graveyard until she sees the literal graveyard and then she see and then she realizes oh my god all of those different pods and whatnot with the lightning flashing around that was also a graveyard I just didn't know it. And the kind of neat thing about that is the brick wall that she's looking through. It's got a sign, a, a kind of beat up sign on it that says Sentinel Electric Company. And it was blocking, until that moment, it was blocking the graveyard from her sight. In other words, the Sentinels were preventing her from discovering the truth. And so basically, what you have here is Spoonboy, who pretty much red pills... Well, I don't... Well, see, that's the thing. He doesn't really red pill Raven because she's still in uh, the world of the Matrix. It's just now she knows that she's living in a lie. You know, but she really has no way out of it. And considering the fact that, you know, she now knows that she's a slave but she has no means of escape. You know, that's a hell of a punishment for her to have to live with, and I think it might be fair to say it's a little bit out of proportion to what exactly she's done. I mean, this is one of those moments when the punishment doesn't really fit the crime, I don't think. But, you know, whatever. That's how things played out. So Spoon Boy basically takes that as his cue to leave, he wanders outside of uh, the headnet gallery. He stops. And as all of this is going on, the cameraman says to the newscaster, or rather, the newscaster says to the cameraman, this caviar is like soup. Got any spoons? And then the, the reply to that is, there are no spoons. <laughs> Which I think is really sort of clever. But that's not the end of it. Spoonboy looks up at the Headnet logo, which is spelled H-E-D-N-E-T. He looks up at the Headnet logo, stares at it, and then mentally rearranges the letters to say the end. And I don't know. I just really dig this. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty low commitment story. It's only like 10 or 12 pages long, but it's really well done. The art is just... I, again, speaking a little bit as a Killian Plunkett fanboy, maybe I'm not the most objective person in the world here, but I just fucking love this art. It's just incredibly well done. And this is just a really creepy story, and it's creepy in the way that I think The Matrix kind of needs to be. You know, it's not necessarily like a horror movie or a scary movie or something like that. It's just kind of creepy sci-fi. That's... To me, that's the milieu in which The Matrix is most effective, and we get plenty of that in this little short story here. So overall, I really dig it, and if you guys like at least the original Matrix, I suspect you'll dig this too, but anyway. So that, I think, is pretty much it for me in this segment, so be right back after these messages to talk about something else in the second segment, although I'm not completely sure what that something else will be, but stay tuned. 
Is your male dog in need of some relaxation? Is the pressure getting to him? Well then, we've got great news for you. Here at Magnus Doggy Brothel, we have over 1,000 bitches in heat to help your dog relax. For just $300, your little guy can get the happy ending you only wish that you could get. We have all different kinds of breeds to satisfy your furry roommate. Labradors for those who need some all-American love. Shizu for those who prefer something a bit more exotic. Why, we even have Doberman Pinchers if anybody likes it rough. And this weekend, we're offering a discounted special. Two bitches at the same time. And this won't cost you a million dollars either. Get two for the price of one for your studly pet. So bring your furry buddy to Magnus Doggy Brothel. Our facilities are licensed for the finest and doggy pleasure that you'll ever find. Why, just check out all the rave reviews we've gotten on Yelp. Magnus Doggy Brothel. Because a bang is always better than a whimper, right? Right? Am I right? Enter at your own risk. Patent pending. Magnus Doggy Brothel is a subsidiary of Demonzo Happy Ending Ventures. Not responsible for loss or injury. Subject to terms and conditions. Void where prohibited. got another Matrix comic that I want to talk about. I went ahead, made up my mind, and decided, you know, I'm not finished talking about Matrix comics just yet. This one is entitled A Life Less Empty, written, drawn, and I presume inked by Ted McKeever, and editor is, I don't even know how to pronounce this, this is Spencer, I guess it's, I guess you pronounce it Spencer Lom. But uh, rather than actually summarize this thing, because there's really not a plot as such to this to this comic, so rather than attempt to summarize it, I'm just going to read it to you because the nature of, I guess, the narrative here is I can actually read this to you, and I don't really think you're going to lose too much in terms of understanding, you know, the overall gist of the story and uh, basically what's going on in all of this. So. I don't know, I guess we'll see, but I don't think I need to go so far as to do, like, an official summary for this thing, so I guess we'll find out, though. But anyway, basically, I, I, I guess by, by way of introduction, the title character in this story is a girl named Tierra, and the basic setup of it is she's just sort of hanging around her apartment. And so, comic goes a little something-something like this. She thinks to herself, It's always the same. The day turns into sleep, sleep into a dream, the dream turns into a nightmare, and then the nightmare turns into reality. And here I am again, the same as the day before, the same as the day yet to happen. I wait for answers that'll never come. Never. Because I am the answer, and at the same time, I'm also the question. Is it better to try and then fail than to never try at all and spend the rest of your life wondering what would have happened if you had? 
I spend all my hours calculating and gauging the people who have tried and succeeded, the ones who have tried and failed, or the losers who never tried at all. Is the last one me? Yes. I come to the same conclusion every time. Sometimes you win, and sometimes you lose. It just all adds up to how much you're willing to gamble, so that when you're old and gray, you can look in the mirror and say, did I do the best I could? But I didn't. I gave my best shot, and it wasn't good enough. Not to me, it wasn't. I know what hell is. It's not lakes or burning oil or brimstone and devils poking you in the ass with pitchforks. Hell is not knowing. The cerebral torture you put yourself through, wondering, questioning, pondering your past decisions over and over again, trying to decide if what you did was the right choice. If that's the case, I truly am in hell eternal hell. I'm plenty happy, aren't I? <laughs> Who am I kidding? Pictures of my past. They spark images that bring back my life as the woman I was. And the choices I made. Good or bad. Right or wrong. Live with it, Tierra. Childhood memories. The girl I was the girl I became. A hacker extraordinaire. All-powerful, all-knowing. But all-wasted. Wasted knowledge on a pitiful shell of a human. Nothing more than a friggin' ghost in a machine. I was one of the best there ever was. A hacker extraordinaire. Cream of the crop. Elite. What the hell happened to me? When did I become such a wimp? I remember. When he came into my life. Offering me the truth. And I was too scared to swallow it. Pathetic. The Matrix. I'd almost forgotten. At least when I allow myself to. What is the Matrix? A major damn pain in the ass question is what? Why couldn't I see past the obvious? Why was I so damn afraid of the truth? He offered me a red pill. A pill that would be the total alteration of my life, he said. A brave new world of the unknown to be reborn anew. And learn the truth about everything. The feeling was overwhelming. Just like it was yesterday, and it will be again tomorrow. I wanted to be just like all the others. Wanted to be like Neo and Trinity and all the other myths and legends. <laughs> what a joke. I kick myself in the ass every day remembering how Morpheus, the dealer, the master hacker and king of all data, came to me and offered up a handful of answers and truths and what did I do? I ran. I ran with my tail shoved between my trembling legs, like the pathetic, scared little dog that I am. Red means go. Blue means stop. I chose 
blue. Dead end. Nowhere to go but down. Napoleon. Joan of Arc. Hitler. Einstein. All insane, radical extremists. Good or bad, they all jumped head first. Some crashed and burned. Some became geniuses, but all tried in the face of fear and doubt. I didn't. What would have happened if I'd taken that leap of faith? Would I be better off than I am now? Would I be happier? What is happiness? <sighs> One thing for damn sure, I know it's not this. Still reaching for that brass ring when it's long past grabbing. I had my chance and I friggin' blew it. Is it better to try and fail than to never try at all and spend the rest of your life wondering what would have happened if you had? I spend all my hours calculating and gauging the people who have tried and succeeded and the losers who never tried at all. What would have happened if I really tried? I'll never know the true answer. And as always, like the day before and the day yet to follow, my regret is eternal. The end. So, what did I think? Well, guys, this is a serious fucking bummer of a story. Basically, this is a chick who had, she didn't have the answers in her hand, but she had an opportunity to find out the truth. And she turned her back on it. And the thing is, when it comes to, I guess, the concept of the Matrix and what this world is, it stands to reason that Neo is not the only person that Morpheus ever visited and said, hey, you want to know the truth? I've got the truth. There had to have been others. And of the other people that Morpheus visited, there had to be some percentage of people who willingly chose to take the blue pill. And the way it's presented in the movie, Morpheus says, you can take the blue pill, you'll go back to sleep, and then you'll wake up believing whatever you want to believe. And... The hell of it is, what you want to believe is so close to reality already for you to have ever even begin questioning reality, that to willingly choose that, the uncertainty, the ignorance, the, the on some level or another, the mental slavery that you're willingly choosing, that would haunt you for the rest of your days. I mean, if you've got... If you're possessed of enough agency that you you would ever start questioning things in the first place, you might in the moment choose the blue pill just because that seems like the safer path. But that, oh my God, that is just such a lie. You know, I mean, you're still going to wake up tomorrow morning having the same doubts, the same fears, and just the same skepticism that drove you to that place in the uh, to begin with, you know? The difference at this point being you now have literally no hope of ever finding out what the truth really is. That sucks. And it's, again, I mean, this is just such an insightful, uh, an insightful way of 
tackling, I guess, the Matrix concept, right? Because there's the Matrix story, which, you know, people either love or they hate. But then there's the concept of it, which seems to be almost universally popular, you know? And the thing is, I mean, it works as an allegory for so many other things, you know? And whatever allegory works best for you in terms of what the truth of reality actually is, the Matrix, again, as a concept, not as a story, the Matrix can be that thing. And so I think that we all have in our lives certain decisions that we had to make or just certain realities that we had to become comfortable with, you know, and... I don't think the Matrix's entire appeal is the fact that it works on on the level of allegory, because to me, that's kind of dismissive of of the Matrix as a creative work. But nevertheless, I mean, that is a valid gateway into the story, into the concept, into the Matrix world, you know, and, you know, we're all products of our own life experiences. And, you know, God knows over the past you know, two, three, four years. I am seriously not at liberty to talk about it in my podcast, but there are certain realities of life that are not popular to talk about that I've kind of had to rethink and decide, you know what? Everything I've been told about these subjects my entire life has been a fucking lie. And some of you may think you know what I'm talking about. I promise you, you don't. But... The I guess what you could say is, in a sense, I kind of decided to take the red pill. And the hell of it is, the truth, it's going to be with you no matter what. But confronting it head on isn't necessarily going to be all peaches and cream, you know? And the angst that Tierra is experiencing in, in this story here, A Life Less Empty, it's still... It's still with you, but the difference is it's not tempered by the helplessness that Tierra is grappling with all through this story. And so, yeah, she made the wrong decision. She has some idea of the truth already to begin with anyway, but the difference is there's a helplessness that kind of underscores all of her angst, all of her regret, all of her mourning over the opportunity that she abandoned. That if you, if you think about it, I guess the uncertainty of it, the hopelessness of it, the despair, that wouldn't be with her, but the uncomfortable reality of what the Matrix is, or at least the existence of the Matrix, that would still be with her. You know, so there's a certain amount of suffering that she's going to have to endure no matter what, and so it is with me, you know? The fact that I decided to make the decision that I made, you know, that doesn't automatically remove the fact that these realities that I'm speaking generally of the fact that these realities exist, it simply means that I'm not blinded by it anymore and I can at least recognize the problem, which is more than most people I know can say, you know? And so there is, a, I guess, a relatable element here that I think, you know, for me, it is what it is. But for you guys listening, it's probably going to be something else. That moment when you had to accept certain things as they are in spite of the fact that it goes against everything you've ever been taught to believe you know, about the way that society really is or, or about religion or whatever your, whatever your cause is, politics, ideology, just whatever your thing is, 
sexuality for all I know. And, you know, everything that you've been taught, you at some point, at least on something, had what I have to believe is just very persuasive evidence that what you've been taught isn't actually true and now you have a chance to reshape your thinking and do you go for it, you know? And anyway, it, like I say, I mean, it, it works in terms of being a Matrix story, but it also works on, like I say, the more relatable element of just living life. And I guess the lessons that we all kind of have to learn along the way and how best to negotiate this weird path that is our lives, you know? So, anyway, again, it just speaks to the Matrix concept and how powerful it is on a creative level that it has so many storytelling possibilities to it, you know? And that's one of the things that I dig about it. And that, I think, is pretty much it for me in this segment. And as it happens, that's also it for me in this episode. Now, at some point in the future, I know that I want to talk about more Matrix comics. I don't know when that's going to be. I've got a few openings in the months the, uh, the months ahead, so maybe I'll have a chance to talk about some more Matrix comics then. But guys, I know I want to do it at some point. I just don't know when that's going to be. So just, I guess, be advised of that. But anyway, as I say, that's pretty much it for me this week. So bye, everybody. I will see you next week. gentlemen this is jason jacanetti you may recognize my voice from the vault of starling monster horror tales of terror and if you don't you should be listening but today i need to ask you a few questions do you like big bugs and you cannot lie other robots just can't deny that when the queen of space walks in and puts a blast in your face that your gears get sprung are you deep in the bee we're sharing are you hooked and you can't stop staring if you answered yes to any of these questions, then have I got a podcast for you. Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. From classics to cults and all the yummy, yummy cheese in between. Look for my new show, Bots, Bugs, and Babes, on the Two True Freaks Network and on iTunes. That's Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. Double J on the Triple B is your hookup. Holler if you hear me.
the man of screen. The Man of Screen podcast will chronicle the adventures of Superman on the big screen and the small screen, starting with the Fleischer Shorts. Kirk Allen movie serials. Superman and the Mole Men, 1950s television series, The Adventures of Superman. The Christopher Reeve movies, Lois and Clark, Superman the Animated Series, and more. Come check out the Man of Screen podcast at themanofscreen.podomatic.com. That's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and then number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? 
If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demanzacor of Milan, Italy. Thank you.